2: Welcome to episode 396. When James Trailer and Max Collins found out they were both writing a book about author Mickey Spallone, they decided to collaborate rather than compete. For the first time ever, Trey and Collins have completed the first biography on the iconic writer. The description reads, Beginning in 1947 with Eye the Jury and continuing with his next six novels, Spallone quickly amassed a readership in the tens of millions, becoming the best-selling novelist in history of American publishing. Surrounded by controversy for the overt violence and suggestive sexual content of the iconic Mike Hammer private eye novels, Spallone was loathed by critics but beloved by his readers. In this interview, the writers talk about the ups and downs of Mickey's life, how the Mike Hammer character led to characters like Jack Reacher and James Bond, some mysterious parts of Mickey's life, the paperback revolution, and his 40 year overnight success of writing this book.
1: Jim and I both uh, had an interest in in uh, Mickey point uh, as a as a mystery writer, as someone we really admired, and who we both uh, we both knew was, in our opinion, anyway, unfairly maligned by a lot of folks, and basically, we found out we both were working on a book. I think, if I'm remembering correctly, isn't that right, Jim? That's, that's correct. And we we decided, rather than be competitors, we'd be collaborators.
0: I had uh, sent a couple of uh, sample chapters to uh, Dutton. I thought they might want to publish it. But the uh, unfortunately, they they didn't think it would uh, uh, make many sales. I think they're probably wrong, and I still think that and still think they're wrong. Uh, but they were very nice about it, and some people I'd met over the over the years.
1: I actually had some interest from uh, Otto Pensler at uh, Mysterious Press, and then when uh, when Jim and I put it, we did a book together called. Uh, uh, one lonely night with a k that was the first book ever done on mickey mm-hmm. and uh, at that time mickey was obviously still alive and he did not really want a biography written of himself he certainly wasn't prepared to uh cooperate with us and so our focus was on the on the books I and mean, we did a little bit of, autobi- of biographical stuff but we were treating him seriously in a way that he hadn't been treated before. Then when we turned it into Otto, Otto wanted the wanted a biography. And so uh, we ended up uh, you know, I thought I had the publisher in my pocket, and I didn't. And we we ended up with uh, at Bowling Green, who published us there. And what how many years later decades later after mickey was gone and we were able to actually uh, do a biography of him and i'd had a lot of cooperation with him on a documentary i did in 1999 i had five hours of spilling interview material uh and we uh, so i guess we decided the time was finally right and guess who we sold it to otto pensler at mysterious press so it was a. Uh, uh, well i don't know 30 35 year maybe uh process of getting this book out well
0: 1984 through um 2021 <laughs> Even longer than i said it's a it was a a 40-year overnight project is really what it was.
1: that's right we, we we've we've been very gratified because uh we had no idea whether or not this book anybody would even care that there was a book out there about mickey Spillane, and we've had terrific reviews and a lot of coverage uh there was a one of the good reviews was picked up by associated press and it's everywhere and uh, one of our goals had been to see that mickey was reassessed was reappraised uh, because he's one of a handful of really really important mystery writers I mean, we are talking about the most uh, widely published, the most successful mystery writer, American mystery writer of the 20th century, and worldwide second only to Agatha Christie. So we he, he's a name that's in there with Agatha Christie, uh, Dashiell Hammett, Raymond Chandler, and it's, the, you know, you get Mickey Spillane, and then everybody else, some of them are really important. But they're not important. But but they hadn't had the impact that he had, because uh, he was so widely imitated, if mm-hmm. nothing else. And as, as Jim and I really discovered when we dug into the research, um, he sparked not only a re- you know, the, uh, the, the reinvention of the private eye as as an you know, American icon. And but we, he also sparked the paperback revolution. The original original paperbacks were essentially uh, created to uh, fill the market he had revealed with the reprint of *I the Jury*. I, I Jim, would you would you speak a little bit about that? The, the you know what happened with paperbacks in that
0: era? Yeah, one of the most fascinating things about it was um, I didn't know much about it. I knew that he'd, uh, he'd always pick up these paperbacks, and they'd say. Three and a half million copies sold. Four million copies sold. Uh, my first one that I picked up was the Big Kill. That's the first one I read, which is out of order. Uh, but I just liked the title, so I read that one first. He, um, Mickey, during his war years, uh, I think read some of those army paperbacks. And you've probably seen them that have the little format that fits in the pocket of a of a uniform. And he said, "Well, I think this is going to be the." the new trend. So he really predicted what would happen with the paperback market. Um, All he had to do was to convince them to do it. And he was obviously a great storyteller and he had a few connections and those connections helped him uh, in with, in with Dutton really with his uh, agent uh, publisher. He was, was really a printing salesman, but he, but it worked out a lot of Mickey's friends, uh, had those sort of tangential relationships with um, the business and that it helped out eventually. And when the public discovered him, they couldn't get enough. And as a matter of fact, they would, um, sometimes they would say, I want you to print two and a half million copies and the printer would say, well, I don't want to print that many, but then they would sell out so quickly that they'd get mad at each other because they weren't making the sales.
1: Yeah. He was really kind of, uh, and this is why it's interesting that, I won't say that Mickey's forgotten, but considering the fact that he was probably the literary equivalent of Elvis Presley, Hmm. he, he, you know, he was selling millions of copies. And uh, he probably would have gone on to be a name that would be on everybody's lips, even today, had he had he kept writing but he had a, a, a as we discuss in in uh, in, in Spillane King of Pulp Fiction, he, he sold his movie rights to a guy who he was very unhappy with, in terms of the result. Now, the funny thing is some of the movies, including Kiss Me Deadly are really terrific. But in Mickey's point of view in those years, he didn't like those movies. And he was, I would say, really disrespected by this this producer. Uh, the producer was a Hollywood producer, but Victor Seville, but also was British, was originally British, and I just think that blue collar East Coast, you know, Spillane bumping up against this erudite, uh, low key UK personality, uh, he, uh, it, it, it was, it was not a good combination. And and Seville really condescended to Mickey quite a bit, really patronized him. So what we and and this is the mystery. If there, if there's a mystery about Mickey Spillane that we have bandied about more than any other, Gemini. Why at this in 1952, at the top of his uh popularity, he stops writing novels and writing about my camera for 10 years? This is this would be like Stephen King, you know, hits with Carrie, and then says, "Well, I'll see you in ten years." That's a really, you know, you you can't be away from your market for ten years, so that hurt him. And when he came back, he was very successful, but he never reached the pinnacle that he did artistically or commercially. Now he was selling millions of books, but as Jim said, they were doing first printings. Of two and a half million copies that was so unheard of you I know mean, a best seller sold in the thousands mm. and for him to sell in the millions that was crazy but he took 10 years and during that 10 years one of the things that happened was signet books um looking for a replacement for mickey Spillane, went to england there's an irony there I've thought about with Victor Seville, but went to England and got the rights to do this kind of obscure writer who wasn't well known over here at all, named Ian Fleming. And they packaged the, the James Bond books as this is the wow. the British Mike Hammer. This is the British uh Mickey Spillane, his own publisher using his own cover artist. And so while Mickey was gone it was his own choice to be gone that happens and uh so he never he got supplanted by someone his own publisher uh used to be well i, I think i said to somebody uh he he was uh fleming was the methadone to spolane's uh heroin <laughs> and,
0: and the other and the other side of that brock was I went to australia and talked this guy named Carter Brown into doing imitation kinds of explain um, books that with uh, a lot more, a lot of humor. And those things stole millions of copies, mm-hmm. millions. And they were directly in the, and the covers were done by the same artist and they were total imitations. But it's sort all of fun. Yeah. They, uh,
1: it, it's very clear that signet and then also gold metal books, which was the, you know the first uh, publisher that really came out doing as publishing paperback originals they were all desperately trying to you know f- you know to come up with pu- with writers who could fill the the void that mickey left because it, it i mean it, we're talking 1952 and he's he stops and that craze you know that he began with private tough private eyes that got on TV, but not but not till 1959. So that whole decade, you have basically other writers, uh, you know, taking the journey on the fumes that Mickey left behind, you know, he just it's so it's a unique situation. Then the other thing is that as and this is one of the challenges that Jim and I had the last I would say third of his career and if, if you agree with me, Jim, he was yeah. much more a media star, a media driven than he was a writer. So you have, you have that in phenomenal series of 18 years of Miller Lite beer commercials, where he spoofed himself and spoofed Mike Hammer. Meanwhile, all the all they actually Signet at that point put out Mickey's playing books. And on the cover would be like a picture of mickey Spillane, taken from one of the ads There's those one. ads were on the cover
0: of the book with uh with with uh, one of the dolls
1: yeah well there was a specific yeah. doll
0: there was uh, yeah. lee
1: meredith who was lee from meredith. the producers yeah and so uh and then at the same time he had he had played mike hammer in 1964 in a movie which is bizarre that would be like, well, here's Edgar Rice Burroughs playing Tarzan, or here's Agatha Christie playing Miss Marple. That's just nuts. But because he had done that, that opened the door for him playing basically Mike Hammer uh, slash Mickey Spillane in those those commercials. And he made and, and he had a huge income from that. Plus, his books were selling because they were back in print due to those commercials. So, 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 Jim and I—I mean—and Jim is very—I mean, Jim is has a doctorate in literature. Okay. And I mean, he—you know—I I have some background, but not—not not to compare with Jim's. And so, one of the doors we go into there is literary, you know, analysis. Um, you know, Jim is talking about about Mickey Spillane in terms of, of of the revenge tragedies of Shakespeare and so on. Mm. So so we go in this sort of literary uh, appreciation examination door. But when you get to the last third of Mickey's life, it's a show business biography. So cool. that that makes it so that's a bizarre combination to have this, you know, literary study that evolves as you know, into Showbiz, Stacy Keach, and
0: so on. Well, really, Mickey's very much like a Shakespearean per personality. Uh, he was a great writer, but he was also a great personality. And Max is certainly correct about the uh, about the revenge aspect. And of course, Shakespeare did several plays like that, uh, and other people from that era did too. My my uh, specialties: seventeenth century, uh, early prose fiction realistic, which is very much like splain and the same kind of topics. Life, death, love, revenge, um, uh, hate. Revenge in well, a world.
1: and this is one of the reasons why when, when I found out about Jim what, forty forty years ago, Jim?
0: That's right. Nineteen eighty three, uh, I believe.
1: <laughs> yeah, the uh, the credibility that he brings with his background in in his studies and as a teacher he's been a teacher uh i i think that that was one of the things that that mickey needed to to have instead of being viewed just as this sort of pop culture phenomenon which he definitely was and and we and we deal with him as a pop culture phenomenon but we also say whether he liked to admit it or not he was a serious writer uh yes he was a pulp writer we put that right in the in the title but uh in a way so was shakespeare i mean he he was he's he's putting these bloody plays on if you if you want to the only place you can find more murders than than either jury is hamlet <laughs> it's, it's a bloody bloody trail that 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 shakespeare uh cuts
0: that's absolutely true <laughs>
2: Does this, does this latest? It is hard to picture like a a guy like Stephen King all of a sudden being a public figure like Hunter S. Thompson. I can't really wrap my head around that. It's and so odd that he was prolific and then kind of stopped in that manner. Does your book aim, does this recent book aim to answer these questions or more to shine a light on the mystery of it all?
1: I think both, really. I mean, we, and, and to be frank with you, you know jim and i have spent hours on the phone and sometimes in person discussing these mysteries about it the 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 central mystery of which we call the long wait which is the title of one of his books that that he went from 1952 to 1962 before he wrote another my camera book and we probably answered that three or four different ways over the years thinking each time that we had nailed it (laughs) and it wasn't until this particular project where we could really look at what the situation was it, it comes down to something uh I guess a little technical which is that Victor Seville as a film producer had right a first refusal on any new novel that Mickey wrote Mickey decided he didn't want any of his novels being adapted by victor seville so mickey's solution to that was i just won't write any more novels not till this contract is over and after the contract was over almost immediately he mm-hmm. sells it sells mike hammer uh to tv with darren mcgavin playing mickey splain's mike hammer and basically jump starts that whole craze that, that, that ran from the late 50s to the very early 60s, with Peter Gunn and 77 Sunset Strip and Perry Mason and all of these television shows that kind of edged out the Westerns that had been so, so successful.
0: And, um, one of the, and one of the research problems brought was that uh, there was a fire in Mickey's home in upstate yeah. New York in the 50s that destroyed a lot of documents. So the original contract, we never saw it. I saw a part of a revision of it one time, which answered some questions, but it left the others completely unanswered. And it was really like a detective story trying to piece all the parts together.
1: It, it was. It was definitely a detective story. Um, and I do feel... And I, I had always thought, and I think think the conclusion that Jim and I reached, and that was widely accepted, because this was discussed a lot in, in, in the, uh, you know, among mystery buffs. Even ones that didn't like Mickey we were like, well, why did this enormously successful writer stop? The answer we came up with was that he had this, I would say, bizarre, frankly, convert uh, religious conversion to the Jehovah's Witnesses hmm. and the Jehovah's Witnesses very co- conservative and did you know objected to Mickey's sexual and violent violence uh content and now they didn't object when he wanted to build him a new uh, uh Kingdom Hall or whatever they call it right. but but that was the assumption was that, that that Mickey's religious beliefs no longer allowed him to write that way. But Jim and I knew that during that whole period of time, he was writing novellas for uh, for the men's magazines and that's not Playboy that's men's adventure magazines. That were published by a lot of the the guys that had published him when he was back as a comic book writer Marvel. Actually, Marvel, you know, he, he wrote for Marvel Comics, among others. And he was very loyal to his friends. And so if somebody said, uh, I, you know, my men's magazine really could use a boost in circulation, he'd be I'll write a nove- I'll write a novella for you. Well, all of these novellas, which eventually were collected in books, they were very typical Mickey Spillane. They, they they were just as violent, just as sexy as anything he had written before. So the so so that was kind of a puzzler, I think, that Jim and I wrestled with, but never really knew what to make of it. Whether whether he thought maybe the Jehovah's Witness people wouldn't notice that he was doing these things on the side. And so that that became a real uh, you know, a real mystery. And I think that's a major thing that we accomplished in this in this book. And the the other thing, and Jim and I have talked about this many times, is over the years. I uh, if there was an article about Mickey, because I I was into him when I was in junior high, and that was a long time ago. Yeah, and <laughs> we both would clip reviews, articles, any media stuff, and kind of hang on to it. But I had never assembled it. I'd never looked at it sort of in order. And when when you put all the research materials in order suddenly it starts to make sense like oh I see what's going on in this guy's life he's he was very inter- very interesting guy and you you have a, a big factor too that that we had to deal with and is key to Mickey is the 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 attacks of the critics Jim, Jim would you speak to that a little bit just how 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 he was
0: in, in his home he had a uh he had a board that uh announced new books and part of it would be let's let's hope it gets lively reviews uh, the inscription to um one of the books that he signed for me and max and my copy it says uh, it's great to meet you uh you guys are few and far between <laughs> which i uh, assume meant that uh, most people didn't actually appreciate what he was doing um uh, and and his personality and his ability to write and entertain people are greatly underestimated, and we're we're trying to uh, uh, alleviate that problem and reintroduce the uh, the public. Uh, I'll tell you one one uh, little short story. Uh, one of my daughters, uh, when I was writing that uh, the first book with uh, Max, we were at the beach for a week and. They asked me what I was doing and I said, Well, I'm I'm working on this project. And they'd never heard of it, and So I gave one of them a copy of I the Jury, one of the paperbacks I had with me. And she disappeared for two days. <laughs> and when she came back, she said, Wow, that was some book. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and that's a total new generation, you know, 50 years were removed from me and Max.
1: Well, around 1972 i i i began teaching for about five years at muscatine community college and one of the things i did i wasn't a wonderful teacher i'm not, I'm not the not 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 the kind of teacher jim trailer is that's for sure but uh i yeah. i would uh really to keep myself from being being bored and to you know to get the kids Interested, I did some, and the, this was kind of groundbreaking at the time. I did, you know, I did a, a crime mystery fiction section for literature, and a science fiction section, and then I did a movie, uh, a, a, a novels and movies section where you would, you would watch the movie and read the novel and and discuss how the changes had been made, and I taught I one and I I had. Christie and Hammett and Chandler, and you know various uh, ex- accepted writers, and I and and Mickey, and now this is how many years later, even longer ago than than, than Jim and I know knew each other. Um, I still have kids who are grown men and women now come up to me and say they are still reading Mickey Spillane that I introduced him them to Mickey Spillane nobody says you introduced me to Agatha Christie nobody says you introduced me to Dashiell Hammett you introduced me to Raymond Chandler because you you know you, you give somebody who's 18 or 19 years old a Mickey Spillane book from that first group of six my cameras they haven't seen anything like that before and and while the, while well the, well the sexual content is not really a big deal and the he he's a guy the the, the scenes of action and violence they they, they 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 could you know they could have put sam peckinpah on his on his tail i mean they still are rough they are rough and you've never seen anything like it and the emotional content and even even writers like Wes, Don Westlake who was was a mentor of mine. Donald Lee Westlake was not a huge Mickey spillane fan, but he would talk to me. He would say to me, "What Mickey brought to it was the emotional content. That that this was a guy. He wasn't just some. Think of how cool Sam Spade was, or think about how sort of detached Philip Marlowe is." my camera is avenging the death of his friend his friend lost an arm took took a bayonet at his arm and in, in you know in World War II and saved my camera's life and my camera is pissed that somebody shot him and it is it was a trip a ride that nobody had taken before nobody in and, and uh that content and the level of eventually the level of of love he feels for his secretary uh, velda who um one of the most interesting things i don't even remember if i've talked to jim about this but when i was doing uh th- there was a frag a, a large fragment of what would have been the second my hammer novel because uh, i as i i think you may know brock i've i've completed manuscripts that mickey left behind one of his last requests to me was to to finish his unfinished material well i had a 1940s manuscript that he had begun right after he sold i the jury and in that manuscript mike hammer and velda go to a small town and they he gets to about page i don't know 60 or 70 and it's clear That the Velda and Mike Hammer relationship has gone too far that he that that Hammer was really in love with this this woman and it's going to screw up the series (laughs) if he if he goes down that road and the manuscript stops at that point and and so Mickey took his time he didn't actually sort of get them to where they were really seriously planning to get married until right toward the very end uh in in uh in in a book called black alley that was his last my camera book published in the 90s jim is that right
0: uh yes that's and
1: and then he was working on a book called king of the weeds where they were going to get married at the end and uh that that's one of the books that he did not finish
0: it's like I, it's like the big book he was going to do
1: yeah and, 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 uh, and that's been a really fascinating, uh really terrific learning experience. Because when you work inside the manuscripts of a writer, if you admire that writer, and then you you know, you, I, I, I still to this day, learn from Mickey. And when I'm, you know, I'm writing one right now, and I see I can see what he's up to. I can see why he's done this. I can see why certain phrases are turned. Uh, and um, his ability as, never mind an artist, but as a craftsman is very underestimated. Jim, would you mind speaking a little bit to the first and last chapters? Because I think that's so key to Mickey Spillane.
0: Uh, I certainly will. But I want to follow up on something you just said about um, his uh, his ability. And Shakespeare, the Hamlet character. If you compare the Hamlet um, soliloquies to the internal monologues in One Lonely Night, you will be amazed at the at the at the power unleashed by Spillane. Now, Spillane's ability to take. Uh, he always said. That, um, the first chapter uh, uh, gets you moving in this book. The last chapter sells the next book, and they're totally intertwined. And if you look at the uh, the book I just mentioned, "One Lonely Night," which is really more of an internal monologue than anything, except for the for the part where he rescues his girlfriend and kills anywhere from 50 to 100 people with a machine gun, depending on how many had to be cut out by the editors, uh, you can see the power, and it's totally linked, and the uh, writing is masterful. It, it's totally balanced. It's totally parallel, but you don't notice it. You're just drawn into it immediately. It's powerful stuff.
1: Well, I think One Lily night. I I would say is the masterpiece although I it's such strong medicine that I wouldn't ever advise anybody to start there (laughs) you kind of have to have read a couple of of the early hammers and then read one lonely night but what's fascinating is it comes back around to what we spoke about earlier Brock and that is he was so criticized I mean not a little bit I mean you would have you know parents magazine blaming him on the rise of juvenile delinquency he he, uh, mm-hmm. the famous book "Seduction of the Innocent," where psychiatrist attacked comic books. That psychiatrist attacked only one writer of of fiction. Everything else was comic books, but it was Mickey Spillane gets, you know, gets his uh, his ire. So when Mickey does "One Lonely Night," which is I think the third or fourth book, at that point. Mike Hammer and Mickey Spillane have been hammered by the critics and by the social critics. So Mickey takes all of that social criticism he's gotten, wraps it up in a judge, who uh at the beginning of the book, Mike Hammer's on uh, in 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 this rainy snow on on George Washington Bridge. He's thinking about how this judge just filleted him just just flayed him uh in court with all and told him what a reprehensible human being he was and how he hated to have to let him go and so that becomes the criticism that mike hammer mickey spillane took and so he deals with it in this book so the idea that that he just shrugged his bad reviews off no 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 they hit him hard they hit him deep and he t- wrote a whole, you know, he wrote a whole book about how he felt about it. And then of course, Mike Kammer's uh, decision at the end of the book, famously, when he's trying to, d- to justify his existence, he decides that God has put him on earth to get rid of the bad people. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. not Sam Spade. That's <laughs> not Philip Marlowe. That's not Lou Archer that's something completely different and out of him comes what john shaft dirty harry uh jack reacher uh, you know you name it none of them are around none of them exist without my camera
0: very true
2: i think we're almost out of time thanks again for coming out um I want to do one more question. You guys have spent so long researching this. What advice do you have from your own kind of perspective about, uh, I don't know if you're like obsessed with the idea or just persistence. Like how, how would you advise young writers to stay persistent and focused even when they're getting rejections from publishers and some of those things?
1: Well, I don't think there was any doubt that Jim and I were going to write this book as long as we didn't die first. (laughs) <laughs> that was about it because we've done three there there is a book we did a few years ago for mcfarland which was not not as widely seen as as our current book that was specifically about the about the movies and tv uh and um i mean jim and i have talked many many times but it's uh, you know, and we're friends but the conversation is almost always about
0: Mickey Spillane. I wanted to make sure that there was a um, um, sort of a literary and po- popular analysis of Mickey um, to cover both sides. But I wanted someone to be able to say, "Well, there's a book on Hammett. There's two books on him. There's two books on Chandler. There are books on everyone." I wanted them there to be a really good book on Mickey Spillane. And I, I wanted that to be his part of his legacy and yeah. I wanted to make sure that that got done. And that's, well, uh, and persistence well, is just, um, yeah. you know, work on it all of your life. And if you sell it, that'd be good. <laughs> and if they find it in your, uh, in your papers, maybe they'll get it printed after you're gone. <laughs>
1: well, I should probably not, not tell this, but we, w- when we first approached, uh, not first approached but when we approached otto Penzler a couple of years ago with this project otto said well gee i'd really like to do this but i and he, but he couldn't get his uh, you know his backers to let him do it because they didn't think it was something that would sell and we we were going to do it for a very small publisher i think jim and i were going to be splitting up about 500 dollars or something like that we didn't care we were going to get the book out there we're gonna we were gonna we do this book and the reason why we are so adamant about this is that it, and you can see this right now if you go out and you buy a book on film noir that has been published in the last year you will and you look up say kiss me deadly the movie kiss me deadly some some writers will 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 just have a throwaway line about how terrible Mickey Spillane was as a writer, and yet this movie is wonderful. And most we were sick and tired of people who had never read Mickey Spillane writing about Mickey Spillane and being dismissive of of Mickey Spillane, and also trying to politicize him. Because when you try when when you look at at my camera, I mean, Jim and I have do not share the same politics, but we share the same love for this writer. It's beyond politics. It doesn't have any it doesn't you know when Mickey writes about commies, he's writing about blue meanies. It isn't it isn't really commies. He he didn't have any grasp on, you know, world communism. They were just bad guys that my camera could mow down. And that's fine with me, because it was a kind of a, a pulp fiction uh, dream landscape, nightmare landscape. And uh, one thing that Jim and I have in common is we know literature when we see it.
2: Hey, thanks for tuning in to the show. So many great lessons on screenwriting here. If you're looking for some more information, though, some more about the craft of writing for television, uh, we have a new course called A Script Mastermind, where we have 21 of our proven experts telling you how to write for television, how to write a screenplay, how to break in, things like that. Uh, this includes shows of Gordon Levitt, Judd Apatow, also the writers of shows like Handmaid's Tale, Mosquito Coast, Hunters, Solar Opposites, Resident Alien, *WandaVision*. the list goes on and on. Check that out. Uh, you can get this all right now for $1 at scriptmastermind.com television. That is the television screenwriting masterclass. It is at scriptmastermind.com television. We'll see you next time with a new episode.